Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. My name is Steve Elworth. I'm the Chapel Segan site pastor. So normally on Sunday mornings, I'm out at our Segan Lane location down eight miles down the road, uh, but really excited to be with you this morning. Uh, Kevin, our lead pastor, who's normally teaching here, uh, his mother's funeral was yesterday and uh, his family's in town. So we told him, spend time with family, get through this next week. We've got you covered. And I'm really grateful to be able to, to be here with you. And, and Kevin asked me to be on this side of town today so that you can uh, actually have my words and my lips kind of synced up. Uh, last, last week we had the, the bad dubbed kung fu movie I, I heard. So, um, so I'm excited to be here with you guys live. Our sending director Abram is out at our uh, Segan location preaching. But like Dave said, there's a lot to celebrate at the chapel. He already celebrated the, the international banquet. It was awesome. Um, but I want to celebrate today uh, refuge last week. I asked you guys to pray with us that we would see just a ton of students come to the Union Theater. We've not done something like that before, but God is doing an amazing thing in our college ministry and on the campus of LSU. Every once in a while, we like to get everybody together, but this room doesn't fit that many people anymore. So they did it at the Union Theater, and we had 781 college students worshiping Jesus, hearing about the resurrection. It was it was awesome. We hear stories all across the news and everywhere that, that students are walking away from Jesus, and in a lot of cases, that's true, but God is doing something incredible uh, in this the college ministry of the refuge. So I I want to invite you to keep praying. There are so many students that got connected last week. Pray that they would get deeper connected, that they would meet Jesus, and, and God would continue to transform their lives and through them at the campus of LSU. Also want to let you know next week we're starting a new series. Uh, it's a series on the I am statements of Jesus. We spent a lot of time in this last year looking at the Old Testament, and it's been a lot of fun, but we're going to dive in this spring to the things that Jesus says about himself. As we lead up to Easter, there are so many people that start asking questions, and you can find documentaries about uh, things that we missed about Jesus and all these things out there. And as you have people in your life that maybe are asking those questions, or maybe they're people that you've been praying for and having conversations with, I want to encourage you to invite some people to this next series. It's going to be a great opportunity uh, for all of us together and those from our community to come and, and hear the things that Jesus says about himself, and more importantly, what that means for us. Now, if you've been with us, we have been in a series celebrating the things that God has done in and through the chapel over the last three years. Three years ago, we started a 10-year vision to maximize our growth capacity so that we can maximize our sending capacity. We started in the middle of a pandemic. Some of you remember that. Uh, it feels like a long time ago that that all started. But in God's grace, he allowed the momentum that he initiated through this church to continue moving forward. The first three years, we, we called Grow to Go. There were some foundational pieces that we needed to have in place so that we can continue to push the vision that God 
has given us forward. Uh, and there were kind of three buckets that we were, we were working on throughout these three years. The first was upgrading our facilities. Uh, there were some efficiency issues. There were some security issues with our kids and youth areas. And we wanted to, to be more conducive for more people to come and, and interact with each other at both locations. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about a leadership pipeline, recognizing that if we're gonna help people meet, know, and follow Jesus, it, it can't just be staff and pastors. It needs to be all of us that have been given gifts by God helping people meet Jesus. You're going to be hearing more about that as we continue on in our 10-year vision, but our goal is to equip you as the people of God who have been given gifts by the Spirit of God to know what that looks like as you live sent in the spheres that you are in. The third bucket was around sending. We called it fueling missions. Even as we were setting all these foundations, God continued to raise up men and women and families to, to move, to change their location, to change their vocation for the sake of the gospel. And we wanted to make sure that there was some money available that as people were going and getting sent out, that we were able to support them. It's kind of a beautiful thing at a church when our sending is actually outpacing our growth because people are being called and saying, hey, God, God is tapping them on the shoulder and saying, would you go and take the gospel where it isn't? So we wanted to have some money available as we're growing to, to be a part of all of that. And it's that sending side of things that I want to spend time talking about today as we, uh, as we finish off this series, looking at our, our, whole, our whole vision as we've been looking at what God has been doing. And I want to answer the question, what does it actually mean to be a sending church? If you've been around the chapel, you, you've heard us use that phrase, but what does that actually mean? And what does it mean for you? If God's not called you to cross an ocean or, or to leave Baton Rouge or go into ministry, what does that actually mean for a congregation of people who are staying in one place to actually be a part of a sending church? So that's where we're going today. Uh, so pray with me as we get ready to jump in. Father, we come today so grateful for Jesus. I pray that Given all the things that we bring in, distractions and, and fears, anxieties, stress, all the things going on in our lives, would you give us some moments to hear from you? Because what happens here today means nothing if it's only what I have to say. We want to hear from your word through your spirit. So if there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, take it out of my mind. If there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? so that we can hear from you, because that's the only way we will be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So to answer the question, what does it mean to be a sending church? I actually need to back up a little bit, because the church is not the entity that was first given the identity of a sender. That's actually reserved for God. In God's character, he is a sender. But even more foundational than that, it's not just that God is a sender as an end, but God is actually a sender as a means to an end. The entire Bible is about God's rescue mission. 
to see men and women come back into relationship with him. If you were with us during our Genesis series, we got to look at Genesis 1 through 11 and all of the things that God initiated and how sin messed it up. God created the world out of an overflow of his love, out of an overflow of his goodness, because the greatest gift that he could give to any creature is to know him and enjoy him. God didn't create the world because he was lonely or because he needed us. He created the world so that there would be some creatures that would enjoy the greatest gift available to actually know him. But when sin came into the world, a barrier got placed. And it is now not fully available to meet God face to face. Genesis 1 through 11 sets up that whole paradigm, that whole story of what the rest of the Bible is going to get ready to show us. And as we turn the page to Genesis 12, God gives us his thesis, how he is planning to solve that problem. In Genesis 12, 1, we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country to your pe- and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We learn a lot through that statement. We learn that God does not bless as an end in itself. When God blesses, it is so that we can be a blessing. And in Abraham's case, he was blessed that all the families of the world, the way it's said elsewhere, is every tribe, tongue, people, and nation of the world would receive a blessing. And the rest of the Bible is the out unfolding of that purpose, the unfolding of that mission. It's God, page after page, chapter after chapter, book after book, showing us how he is moving towards that purpose, that the world would be blessed. Now, we don't have time today to go through the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ways that God makes this clear throughout the Bible. So I want to encourage you that if you have not taken a class like Perspectives that we've offered in the past, I want to encourage you to sign up for the missions course. This is something that's starting in two weeks on February 18th. It's going to be in this room right after church at 1230. We're going to provide lunch, and it's going to be a six-week opportunity to learn what are the foundations from the scriptures and from history about how God is moving this mission forward. If you've wondered what it looks like to be a part of the chapel as we talk about sending and all of these things, this is a great foundational piece for you to come and get equipped and get the knowledge of what really are we talking about here. So if you've not taken a class like this, I would highly encourage you to sign up. I'm going to be driving over from Segan every week to be a part of it as well. So come and join me for that. And if you take that class, you are going to see over and over and over and over again that God has a mission to fulfill. And that mission is that the world would be blessed. In the Old Testament, God had a strategy for that. He had a strategy to use a group of people called Israel, called the Israelites. And they were set apart in order for God's presence to be manifested to 
the nations. They were a kingdom of priests. They were the intermediaries that if the nations were going to know God, it would be through Israel. But if you've read any parts of the Old Testament, you know they didn't always do the best job of representing God. But at the time, that was his tool because it was with them that God's location was. The presence of God had a location. That's an important phrase. All throughout the Old Testament, we see different ways that God manifests his presence to humanity so that people could meet him. After they were freed from being slaves in Egypt, God's presence manifested as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that would follow along with Israel. Some years later, he had Moses build what was known as the tabernacle. It was, it was a mobile tent that God's presence would dwell in, and every time they moved, they would carry God's presence with them. Hundreds of years later, he would have a guy named Solomon, who was king at the time, build the temple. The temple was a permanent structure where people could come and be with God's presence. But then Jesus came on the scene. And this is what John says about Jesus in John chapter one. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the same word for tabernacle. It was yet another way that God's presence would come to humanity. It was the clearest way up until then, because in Jesus, we actually get to see God. But all of these different methods of access to God's presence all had one thing in common. They were geographically located. If you wanted to meet God, you had to come. You had to come to a physical location. You had to go to where his presence was. Where are my physics nerds in the room? I know there's got to be some of you. Yeah, let's identify ourselves. What we see in this case is the mission of God, the force of the mission of God was centripetal. It was moving inward. It came to a point if you wanted to be in God's presence, you had to come to him. But something changed at the cross. Something changed when Jesus died the death that we deserved. Now, he was hinting at it throughout his ministry. He would say things like in John chapter 2, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. He was starting to meddle a little bit with the way the temple worked. And he started saying some audacious phrases like this in John chapter 12. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Imagine being one of the disciples and hearing that statement. Wait, Jesus, you're like Jesus. And you're going to leave and it's going to be better? 
We're going to actually be able to do greater works than you did. There was something changing in the environment. And when Jesus hung on that cross, something did change. The force of the mission of God changed direction. The force of the mission of God went from being centripetal to centrifugal. It started moving outward. That God no longer said, if you want to meet with me, you have to come here. He now started spreading his presence around the world. He changed the way things work. This is why Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, therefore go. That's the first time that he was able to say that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Not, not come, but go to the world. For thousands of years, the invitation was to come. But now Jesus says to go. If you grew up in church, you know this is the Great Commission. But it isn't just there in Matthew. It also shows up in Mark and Luke and John and Acts. Jesus was alive for 40 and on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension to heaven. And in those 40 days, he had one consistent message. Go. Take what you have heard and go. Paul helps us understand a little bit about what this means. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And listen to what he says. Chapter 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. There's something that we can't quite understand that happens when we gather together. Jesus says when two or three people are gathered together, those that have given their lives to Jesus, God's presence dwells there. In a very real way, God's presence is with us in this room when we gather. But it's not just when we gather. Three chapters later, Paul says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? The temple is no longer a place to meet with God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the temple. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and everywhere you go, you bring the presence of God. Let that sink in for a minute. My guess is if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you've had those thoughts of, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Maybe you even had the doubts that if you really existed, if you were really loving, this wouldn't be happening. Maybe you've had the thought that, man, things aren't going so well, so maybe I need to do better. Maybe I need to come to church more often. Maybe I need to read my Bible more. Maybe I need to stop doing this thing over here. Maybe I need to come to the church or to this place and kneel before an altar. Maybe I need to go and do something so that God shows up. Chapel, you're the temple The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
Jesus said, you will never be left or forsaken. You can't out his grace. There's nothing that you could do to make him leave you. His blood that he shed on the cross for you covers all of it. And every person that you interact with in some way gets to be in the presence of God. They don't have to go to a building. They don't have to go to a certain city because the temple is now mobile. God has sent his presence around the world. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at John's version of the Great Commission. And when I say version, I don't mean that John had a a different rendition, a different memory of a phrase that Jesus said. But over those 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus had one consistent message. And that message was given at least, because we have them recorded, five different times to five different groups of people in five different ways. So the five different Great Commission texts are not a different memory of how Jesus said one thing, but a recording of five different instances. And John's is a little bit different. Most of the other Great Commission texts say something like, go to the nations. They were giving commands to God's people to go to the world, but John's is different. This is how John's says it. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The others gave commands, but John is imparting an identity. The other Great Commission's texts give commands, but John's imparting an identity. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I was sent by the Father, and in the way that I was sent, that's how I'm sending you. So the question we should probably be asking is, how was Jesus sent? Have you ever ever thought about what Jesus was like before he came to earth? Maybe it's just the theology nerds in the room like me, but there was a time in history when Jesus came and took on flesh, but he's eternal. He always was. He was perfectly with the Father and the Spirit through all eternity past. He had never experienced pain, death, loss, fear, sadness, chaos. All he enjoyed was perfect harmony, fellowship, and love, and he was sent to earth, a place full of sin and chaos and pain and anxiety and stress and murder, racism. We will never fully understand how far Jesus has come, the bridge that he has gapped, how much he sacrificed. Paul gives us a little bit of a hint in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For the sake of the mission, for the sake of bringing men and women back into relationship with God, Jesus sacrificed all that he had to come into our mess. Paul says that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That doesn't mean that he didn't understand it, grasped in our minds. It means he didn't hold on to it, grasped in his hands. He willingly opened himself up and did not hold on to his rights and privileges, but he gave it up for us. It says he emptied himself. That doesn't mean he became less than he was. It's actually a fairly paradoxical concept where Jesus emptied himself by addition. He added humanity to himself, but he did not stop being God. He came as the perfect one that existed forever and experienced birth. He was the one, the only one who could be sinlessly prideful because he was perfect and he experienced humility. The one who had never experienced pain experienced the greatest pain and torture and death that humanity has ever devised. Torture and death on a Roman cross. No one has ever experienced more sacrifice. So how was Jesus sent? He was sent from perfection to death. And I think that's important for us to recognize in this verse, because really no one has ever experienced more pain, more sacrifice, gave up more than Jesus. But he did it on purpose. And he did it on mission because there was a task the father had given him to bring men and women, you and me, back into relationship with God. And he said, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is our model. So does that mean that torture and death are what he sent us to? Maybe. It's been that way for thousands of followers of Jesus throughout the last 2,000 years. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. I don't think it's the details of Jesus's sending that we're supposed to follow. I think it's the purpose of his sending. Jesus was sent on a mission. He was sent to redeem those that had fallen away from God because of our sin. That was fully accomplished. We never have to do that again. Jesus' mission was accomplished. He died the death that we deserved. Chapa, what that means is you do not have to die the death that you deserve to pay the penalty for the sins in your life and in your past and in your mind and in your heart. That's been done once for all. When Jesus died on that cross, he took all of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And when he died, 
right before he said, it is finished. We have all had the experience of feeling like we have to make up something for God, that we have to earn something back, that we need to make up for what we've done. But chapel, that's been accomplished. Through faith in Jesus, it's been forever and sufficiently accomplished in your life. So that's not how we are supposed to be sent. So if we're sent in the same way that Jesus was sent, what does that then look like? That means that we take God's presence that is now available to everyone. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, every family background, every skin color, every socioeconomic status, every language, every country of origin. It does not matter what you've done, who you are, where you grew up, what your job is, how much money you have, the things that you've done, the things that you think, the things that you will do. None of that matters. Jesus' grace is sufficient for all of it. And that invitation has been made to the world. Now we are sent with his presence intentionally because you're the temple. And because of that, Jesus said, I'm sending you. Because of that, Jesus said, go. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? Second point on our outline is this. Everyone has been sent where they live, work, and play. If you're a follower of Jesus, someone who is trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have already been sent. The place where you live the place you work, the classrooms you're in, the neighborhoods you're a part of, the apartment that you're in, the places you go to, to work, to study, to play, you have been sent there on purpose, not an accident. And it's because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. There are places that you go to, people you interact with that the pastors and staff and elders of this church will probably never meet. Your job is not to tell them, hey, come to God. But now because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you say, God has sent me to bring God to you. And I know how intimidating that can be because we live in a world that constantly tells us, hey, Christian, step back. That's fine for you. Don't bring that here. Leave it at the door. We live in a world well, where we will be criticized for the things that we believe. And I think Jesus would say, welcome to the club. We're just the next group of people on a mission that has been going on for thousands of years. And we want to constantly pray for you and, and equip you and help you know what it looks like to live sent in the places that you are. And we're going we're gonna to continue to offer what we call our Live Sent Evangelism class. There's one coming up here in a few months. I would love for you to sign up for that as well so that you can learn what it looks like to live sent in those, in those places. But this is, a, this is an identity. This is a reality that as a church, we have to hold on to if we're going to continue to move towards our 10-year vision. 
Because there's a campus and a city that is told all of their lives that they've got to figure it out for themselves, make a name for themselves, leave a legacy, find purpose. And as we gather and then as we scatter, we are the ones that say, we know why we're here. And we've come to bring the presence of God to you. But I know that's intimidating. So let me encourage you. Chapel, do not underestimate the power of the one who lives inside of you. It was not up to you to secure your salvation. And it is not up to you to secure your mission. God lives inside of you to empower you to bring his presence to those that he puts you around. It's never been about how good you can be, how articulate you can be, how bold you can be. You're a temple and you carry with you the presence of God. Everyone has been sent, but I want to end talking about the sending part of our 10-year vision. Some will be sent from home to the world. The numbers that we've put along with our 10-year vision are that we are asking God to raise up 300 units, terrible language, it's very impersonal, but individual or family. We're asking God to raise up 300 individuals or families to go into ministry. That could be, I'm joining a college ministry. I'm going into Christian counseling. I'm going to be, work at a church somewhere. I'm going to join a, uh, I'm going to help plant a church, or I'm going to take a job somewhere else to help that church get planted, or I'm going to move overseas to take the gospel somewhere else. It's broad, and we're asking God to raise up people to say, would you tap people on the shoulder and say, go, to change your location or your vocation for the sake of the gospel. And we're asking a hundred of those to be people that God sends to unreached people groups, places in the world that still have never heard of Jesus. If you can believe it, they still exist. Three billion people in this world have not heard the name of Jesus in a language that they know. And there are still 3,000 languages in this world. 3,000 languages that don't even have one translated word from the Bible. And so we're asking God to raise up people to go. And maybe you're thinking, Steve, I thought you just said, yeah, it was point two, that we are intentionally already sent where we are, where we live, work, and play. Why would we then ask people to uproot from that intentional place of being sent to go somewhere else? It all comes back to where we started. Sending is not the end. Sending is a means to an end. So what's the end? John tells us in a vision that God had given him. In Revelation 7, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the end. 
That's what everything in history is moving towards. That's what every page of the Bible is writing the story of how God is accomplishing that. That is the purpose of God's sending character. And that is the purpose of our sent identity. That's what everything is moving towards. And one day there will be some from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation worshiping God. And so we're asking, God, if that's your purpose, let that be our purpose. And so we're asking God to raise up men and women to go. People that will leave the, a thriving community like the chapel and move across the country to take a job somewhere else to, to help a church get started. Or people that will change complete languages and cultures to bring the gospel where it's never been since the beginning of grow to go we've gotten a chance to send 33 units out into ministry, 10 of them to unreached people groups. We currently have another eight in our preparation process, five of them going to unreached people groups. And we're asking God to raise up more and more people. And that's not even including the hundreds that we've sent over the last 50 years. We keep an ongoing publication called Among the Nations that you can grab out in the lobby that has a list of all the people that we've sent, not just in Grow to Go, but through the history of the chapel so you can continue to pray for them. There's so many people and we're not all ever going to know all of their names and stories, but I want you to listen to one story. So turn your attention and listen to Grace. So maybe like Grace, you're in this room and you're feeling that, that tap, that, that tug, that desire, or you've been encouraged to consider what it would look like to use your life leaving Baton Rouge and going into ministry or around the world somewhere. If that's you, let us know. Talk to your community group, talk to me, talk to somebody on chapel or refuge staff and let them know. That's not signing your life away, but we have a process that we want to help you determine if this is something for you. And we have a process to help prepare you and train you up to be a part of this because we are committed to being a sending church, not a waving church. By waving church, we mean, oh, you're going? Cool. See you later. And then we're back to life as we know it. Ascending Church says, hey, if God's not called me to go, then he has called me to be a part of this, to pray, to care, to give, to do everything that I can to make sure you have everything that you need on the field. And that's why sending out 300 people into ministry is not just about getting all that sending out, but we are asking God to, to identify a thousand people at the chapel that we call our thousand senders project. We would love for a thousand people to self-identify and say, I want to be a part of this. And if you want to find out more about that, just go to the chapelbr.com slash send. You can sign up for a newsletter that we send out. You can, you can find out some of the things that we're doing. You can learn what it looks like to be a part of ascending church from the sending side. I also, again, want to encourage you to take the missions course, to sign up and spend six weeks learning what is this going to look like to actually help send? Why are they so excited about this? It's going to be a great chance to build those foundations. 
And I also want you to put on your calendar that the fourth Monday of every month, we have what we call a hold the rope prayer gathering. We meet in this room from six to seven, and we have a group of people praying for a different person that we've sent each month. You get to learn about them. You get to pray for them. So many different ways to be a part of what God is doing here. My hope is that over the last four weeks, you've been encouraged because God is really doing a lot at the chapel. But it's not about the chapel. It's about the name of Jesus going across this world. That's what he started all those years ago back in Genesis. It's a rescue mission so that everyone in this world could have an opportunity to come back into relationship with God. And it's that relationship that we want to end fixing our eyes on as we take communion together. Because I don't want us leaving here thinking there's a, there's a rah-rah sermon that I've got to do something about and, and move out there. No, what I want you leaving here with is your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because it flows from him and from his mission that we're sent out. So pray with me as we get ready. Let's jump into communion. Father, we're grateful for Jesus. And we ask that you would meet us in these moments. We ask that you would meet us and allow us grace to encounter you. God, would you show us and remind us how much you love us, how good you are. May we believe that we are not loved because of anything we have done, but because of who you are. And together as a church, as we celebrate that, would you come and speak collectively as your body, this church, remembers what you have accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.